If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, it's just me. No guests to interview. It's just me. And what I want to talk about is writing and directing athletes and animals. <laughs> Similar in ways uh, in the sense that uh, they're often rather difficult. Uh, so I thought I would just talk about some of my personal experiences that you might find amusing. Let's start with athletes. And uh, I want to go back now to the first year of Cheers and an episode my partner David Isaacs and I wrote called Now Pitching Sam Malone. Like I said, it's season one if you want to go back and find it. And in the episode, Sam gets a chance to do a TV commercial. And so we thought it would be kind of fun to have him do a commercial with a real big league pitcher, since Sam Malone, of course, was supposed to be a relief pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And uh, we came up with Louis Tiant. And Louis Tiant, for many years, was with the Boston Red Sox, had a very weird delivery. He was always looking around, uh, very different release points. And Joe Garagiola, the announcer, once said that Louis Tion, through the course of a game, will make eye contact with every single person in the stands. And that's probably pretty true. Well, by the time we got him, uh, he was no longer in the major leagues, but he was still pitching in Puerto Rico. And he came to do this scene. We flew him out. And it's a scene where uh, he's supposed to be pitching a beer and he flubs up and they call for a relief pitcher, Sam Malone, and Sam finishes the commercial. Well, he had maybe, I don't know, four or five lines you know, one of those kind of things like, hi, if you like Fields beer, you're going to love whatever it was. We shot this without an audience. We shot this during camera blocking day. I kid you not, 50, maybe 60 takes to get this. And still, I think we had to just cobble together uh, different takes in order to get this scene. And, you know, he's not an actor, okay? So 
again, you certainly can understand it. On the other hand, when it was over, he wanted a tour of the set. And so David and I kind of walked him around the set and he was kind of pumped by his performance. And he said, you know, I think I might give this acting thing a chance. Yes, well, the only time you've ever seen Louis Tiant in any show was that episode of Cheers. A few years later, David and I wrote an episode called Bar Wars. And we were putting the story together with the Charles brothers, with Glenn and Les. And it was about the practical joke war between Cheers and Gary's Old Town Tavern. And one of the things we thought we would do, we thought, well, wouldn't it be funny if a real Boston athlete comes into the bar and they think they're being punked by Gary and they think that it's a doppelganger and so they chase him out of the bar and pants him and steal his wallet. And then it turns out to be it was the real guy. So we're sitting around the office thinking, okay, well, who could we get? Who's the most famous, most prestigious athlete at the time? And we're talking like 1985, I think, 1986, 87, somewhere in the 80s. And... The obvious name was Wade Boggs, who was a huge star for the Red Sox at that time. But this was March, and I said, yeah, but they're in spring training now. He's not available. This was going to be the last episode that we were going to film that season. And uh, we decided, you know what, just for giggles and grins, let's have our casting director call and inquire about the availability of Wade Boggs. And he did, and like 10 minutes later, he calls back and he said, Wade Boggs is in. We're going, what? He said, yeah, he talked to the manager, and of course it's Wade Boggs. It's not like this guy needed to make the team. And the manager said, yeah, you can take off for two, three days. So Wade Boggs was in, and at the time, I'm thinking to myself, Wow, the power that I possess, that I mention Wade Boggs, and 15 minutes later, he's confirmed to come on our show. Well, he comes on the show, and again, we filmed this without an audience, and he was okay, a little wooden, not terrible, was okay, not particularly... uh, friendly, open, gregarious guy. Uh, But we shot it, and it was fine. About a year later, there's an article in Playboy magazine by a woman named Margot Adams. And Margot Adams talked about being the mistress of Wade Boggs. And Margot Adams lived in Orange County, near Anaheim Stadium. And, of course, they would get together whenever the Red Sox were in Anaheim. But she talks in this article all about the illicit relationship with Wade Boggs. And one of the things that she brings out 
is that Wade Boggs called her and said, hey, guess what? I got a free trip to L.A. I will see you a week from Thursday. And so you come to find out that the real reason he decided to do the Cheers episode was not because I conjured him up, was because he was going to get laid. And in the article, she says that he asked her for a pair of her panties. And she said, why? And he said, well, I, I promised the guys back on the team that I could get a pair of Kirstie Alley's panties. So she gave her panties. This is all in the article. So I'm reading this. It's like 9.30 in the morning. And I called down to the stage and I said, what are the actors do? He said, oh, they're drifting in right now. I said, okay, great. And so I walked down to the stage with a copy of the Playboy magazine and Kirsty was there. And I said, hey, Kirsty, you're mentioned in an article in Playboy magazine. She said, oh, and I gave her the article and she read it and it was like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway, she was a good sport about it. She really is a good sport. And it became a running joke between me and Kirstie Alley for the rest of the run of Cheers. And that like, you know, once or twice a season, I would come up to her and say something like, hey, listen, uh, Kirstie. I've got my high school reunion coming up on Saturday, and I promised the guys that I could get a pair of your panties. Like I said, this became a running joke. We used Kevin McHale on Cheers. Kevin McHale was the sixth man in the mid-'80s, and that was when they were going head-to-head against the Showtime L.A. Lakers with Magic and company. And uh, we hated Kevin McHale. We hated Boston anyway, but we hated Kevin McHale because there was one play in particular where he just clotheslined Kurt Rambis. We've never forgotten. We've never forgiven. And, uh, and so when it was announced that Kevin McHale was going to guest on the show... Uh, you know, we were a little leery. It turns out, number one, Kevin McHale is the nicest guy. He was great. Easy going, fun, terrific guy. I felt kind of guilty for hating him. And number two, of all of the athletes, and I haven't worked with that many, but of all the athletes that I have worked with, by far, He was the best and the funniest. He was so good that we gave him more to do in that episode, and we brought him back for another episode. So kudos to Kevin McHale. Also, we had the episode where uh, the guys were trying to guess how many bolts were in the parquet floor at uh, the Boston Gardens, and we got to go back to Boston to film a couple of scenes. And when we were back there, Kevin let us come to a shoot around. It was like, I love this guy. Uh, let's see, who else? Okay, Larry Bird. Now, Larry Bird, I hate this guy. And here's why. 
we had an episode of Cheers. We thought it would be really funny that Kirsty's character, Rebecca, uh, borrows or rents like $100,000 earrings to go to some fancy event. And Sam's bringing with him his good buddy, Larry Bird. And Larry Bird goes into the office, and long story short, Rebecca thinks that Larry Bird stole her earrings. Now, we told this story to Larry Bird. So it's not like, hey, you want to be in Cheers? And then he read the script and he goes, I'm not doing this. No, he knew the story. David and I wrote the script. And we had Larry Bird jokes and things along the way. And and then, like a week before we were supposed to film it, he goes, nah, I don't want to do it. He crapped out. The episode is called Hot Rocks. And... We kind of went a different way with it. We got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral William J. Crow, to play the part. Obviously, we had to tailor it to him. Uh, but when has Larry Bird and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff both been up for the same role? I had a chance to direct a few athletes. The worst was Carl Malone. Now, the mailman, great guy, unbelievably great basketball player. Oy, what an actor. Also, Terry Bradshaw. And the thing about Terry Bradshaw, I got to say, is that the Terry Bradshaw that you see hosting the pregame show on Fox during the NFL season, that's him. That's pretty much him. That really gregarious guy that's really terry bradshaw he was kind of a delight i also got a chance to direct the hilarious mike ditka (laughs) look when you have these actors you make sure that you don't place the comedy burden on them okay you give them maybe one or two jokes but not a lot and you're not depending on them to make a scene funny this was during becker and uh, he was he was kind of leaden but just fine i mean we didn't give him much to do so for what we asked him to do he was just fine so those were some of the athletes that I got a chance to deal with. Now let me move on to uh, various animals. When David and I were on MASH, there was an episode where we needed a dog. And so they came to us with a selection of dogs, some kennel that supplied dogs to TV shows. It was like a casting call with dogs and David recognized one of the dogs. David goes, there's, there's Scruffy from the ghost and Mrs. Muir. It's a very impressive celebrity sighting. We did not go with, uh, with Scruffy. I think he changed his agent shortly after that. More with me in a moment, but first a word from me. 
about Honey, and you, of course, know what Honey is. It is the free browser extension that scours the Internet for promo codes and applies the best ones it finds to your cart. It has over 30,000 stores online that participate. Like I said, it is free. Very easy. How does it work? Well, so imagine you're shopping online and you go to the checkout. Well, the Honey button just drops down and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Wait a couple of seconds. It does its thing. It finds coupons and you see your total go down and down and down. It really works. Did I mention it is free? Just this last week, I saved $12 on uh, baby clothes for my brand new granddaughter clothes that she already has outgrown. Honey has saved its 17 million members over $2 billion. Hello. So if you don't already have Honey, you can straight up be missing out on free savings. Like I keep saying over and over, it is free. It installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and You'll be supporting this humble podcast. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. Oh, before I forget, it's free. There was uh, an episode of MASH that I remember Alan Alda directed, and it involved a Korean family... And they had uh, oxen, okay, two oxes, oxen. And, of course, whenever you do have oxen, you need an oxen wrangler. So there was a wrangler on the set. And they filmed this out at the Malibu Ranch. And David and I and the rest of the writers were not present during the filming. And there is a very touching scene where the Korean daughter is leading the oxen away. And she's holding a rope and leading them away. And this is something that would obviously just get flipped out of the soundtrack of the show. But... It was there when we're watching this very touching scene and and the woman goes, come on, Jerry. <laughs> we're like, wait, the ox is named Jerry? So we were laughing at this. And I think it's the only time that we ever pissed Alan Alda off. He was like, wait, this is a tender, emotional scene. What are you guys laughing at? We're just like, Jerry, Jerry. So Jerry kind of got us in trouble. I also got in trouble with my mother on MASH. David and I wrote an episode where Radar's hamster uh, was loose. And we decided to name the hamster Babette. And when I was a kid growing up, we had a poodle terrier named Babette. My mother named her Babette. She was a great dog, but you know, you're going around the neighborhood, you know, you're you're a teenage boy and you're embarrassed. Everything embarrasses you, of course, and to have to, to call Babette 
Um, never really loved the name. So took the opportunity to just do a slew of Babette jokes. Hawkeye and everybody else making fun of Radar for naming his hamster Babette. So the show airs, and when it's over, and the closing credits, and then the 20th Century Fox logo, da 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 my phone rings immediately. I pick up the phone. It's my mother. She's going, very funny. Very funny. Yeah, well, if you can't use a nationally televised show to basically make fun of your mother, then seriously, what's the point? Speaking of Wranglers and speaking of the Bar Wars episode, (laughs) one of the things that David and I thought would be really funny, well, okay, what about this as a prank? that Rebecca comes into her office and it's filled with sheep. We go, okay, well, let's do that. So we did. And in writing the script, I have to say, it took maybe two minutes to write that scene. Well, they had to get like, I think they figured something like 30 sheep in order to fill that office. And so this big truck filled with sheep rolls up to the stage along with the the wranglers and the shepherds and they're leading 20 or 30 sheep onto the stage. You know, all that that is going on. And we like had to corral them in that one area. And then we had to actually shoot the scene of Rebecca coming in the office, seeing the sheep. It's a gag that takes maybe 30 seconds on the air. Damn, it's funny. And again, it's the kind of thing that as a writer, you feel so empowered because you go, well, what if her office is filled with sheep? (laughs) And then they do it. Then they have to do it. They have to get 30 sheep, which they managed to do. Moving from Cheers to Frasier, of course, we got to talk about Eddie, whose real name was Moose. And I think Son of Moose uh, eventually played the role uh, the last couple of years as Eddie was getting on. And uh, all I can say about Eddie is this is the smartest dog I've ever seen. And the trainer, Mathieu, was so wonderful, so great, and and. Everything was was positive. It was all positive reinforcement. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's one of those things where you know, if if you if there is reincarnation, uh, you want to come back as that dog. Uh, <laughs> it was so well treated, and we would say to the trainer, "Okay, we have an idea." Could Eddie jump on the couch, and then could he do this, and could he do that? And she would say he could do the couch, he could do this. No, he can't make uh, 
an omelet. You know, you'll have to write that out. Like, oh, damn, we need him to write, make that omelet. No, sorry, you can't do the omelet. Okay. Oh, there goes the whole show. But uh, but Eddie, Eddie was great. And we filmed most, I'd say, almost all of Eddie's scenes in front of the audience. Yeah. Uh, my one Eddie remembrance is in the writer's room. And we had some great writers on Frasier. All of them were great. But some were easier to deal with than others. And there was one in particular who just overthought everything to death. And it was just so annoying because he's just like, well, hmm, ruminating over this or that. And, um, and we're doing a scene where we're, we're pitching out some Eddie bit where he's playing with a ball of socks or something. And this writer stops and goes, what is what is Eddie thinking here? What is Eddie thinking? And the whole room's just Eddie's thinking it's a fucking ball of socks. It's eleven thirty at night. Are you fucking kidding me? He it's like a ball of socks. He jumps on it. I need to jump on it. It's a ball of socks. That's what Eddie is thinking. He's contemplating great thoughts. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's that's my my great Eddie memory. When I was on Almost Perfect, the Nancy Travis show, we had a cat the first season. Actually, one of the biggest laughs of that season was in the second episode where one of the actors, Kevin Kilner, washed his hands in the sink and there was no towel and he dried his hands on the cat. That got a a huge laugh. It was an okay cat. It was terrific. And we had cat wrangler. We had a trainer. I don't remember who the hell it was. And at the end of the season, the trainer comes to us and said, listen, Tabby or whatever his name was, uh, has an offer to star in That Darn Cat for Disney. We go, okay. He said, but we'll pass on it and Tabby will stay on the series if you pay us like three times what we were paying for the cat. And I said, you know, far be it for me to stand in the way of Tabby's feature career. Let Tabby take the movie. I think we'll survive. I think somewhere, somewhere after an exhaustive search, we might be able to find another gray cat. So Tabby goes off. And now you flash forward a year later and Almost Perfect gets canceled. And 
everybody is out of work. And I'm driving home and I'm stopped at a light. I look up on the billboard. It's a big ad for that darn cat. And there's Tabby. And I'm thinking, holy Christ, Tabby is the only member of our cast that's working. That darn cat, I guess, did not do too well because there weren't many sequels. You haven't heard from Tabby lately, have you? I got a chance to direct (laughs) some animals. I got uh, an episode of Just Shoot Me. And we had an orangutan. Now, Just Shoot Me, I think, is streaming on one service or another. If you care to look up the episode, it is called Sewer. And I don't remember exactly why we have an orangutan. I I think it was supposed to be a gift it was George Siegel's character's birthday, and uh, the Wendy Malick character got him this orangutan. There were like three or four storylines going in that episode. And, and of course, you know, it uh, was not an actor who was trained by Meisner or Strasbourg, and sometimes it would go off and do its own thing. And I remember saying to the cast, if he does something weird, stay in character. Just go with it. We can always reshoot the scene, but stay in character. And then I went out to all my cameramen and I said, If he does something weird and you're on him, stay on him. Don't go to your next cue. If you're supposed to go on a line cue and the monkey is doing something bizarre, just stay with him. And again, we'll just go back and pick it up and then you can go to your next cue. So we're shooting the show that night and there's a scene where Wendy Malick comes out of the elevator holding his hand and they walk up to David Spade's desk and Wendy is wearing a dress and on camera, the orangutan bends down lifts up her dress and looks up between her legs. Well, I don't have to tell you, the audience was just going batshit. And God bless Wendy Malick. She stayed in character. She stayed in character. That's such a funny scene. And then there is a scene where Wendy, I believe it's Wendy, might be Laura San Giacomo, had to walk the orangutan through the newsroom. And in this one take, 
the monkey grabs a chair and drags the chair across the newsroom with it. Very, very funny. And people were coming up to me after seeing that episode saying, wow, what an inspired bit of business. How did you do that? (laughs) I did that by having the cameraman stay on the damn thing while he did it. Uh, There's one other thing I remember. After the audience leaves, it was a multi-camera show in front of a studio audience, and after the audience leaves, we do pickups. And the last scene in that episode was pretty complicated. It was like a birthday party scene in George Siegel's office, and a lot of people were in that scene, like six, seven people in that scene, including the orangutan. And um, there was some special effect where uh, Laura had been in a sewer that had radioactive material so that when they turn off the lights to light the cake and sing happy birthday, she glows green. Like I said, this is a very complicated scene. And the showrunner, Steve Levitan, when the audience had left, said, can we do another take of this? And, of course, when the showrunner says, can we do another take of this? You go, sure, of course, yeah. So the trainer comes up to me. And the trainer goes, um, it's, it's after 9.30. I said, yeah. He goes, it's past his bedtime. I said, okay. What happens if he works after his bedtime he said he bites everybody okay everybody that's a wrap <laughs> and steve levitan comes up to me like what do you mean that's a wrap i want to get another no he bites people okay that's a wrap that's the last time i had a chance to work with that orangutan there were dogs on dharma and greg but we didn't do much with them other than they were just in the scenes and they were very obedient dogs. They were very easy. And uh, the last animal that I had to deal with was a horse. And uh, this was an episode of Late Line, the show that starred Al Franken before he became a senator. And it was also going to be, for me, because most of the time I've directed multi-camera shows in front of an audience. Well, this was going to be a single camera scene out at Griffith Park. And the scene was that Al and Robert Foxworth, who was in the show, were going to be riding horses. And it was really just one cut. That's the way I planned it, just just one cut. And they had a bit of dialogue, like two or three lines each. And I had the camera positioned in a way where you would see the two approach and they would say their lines and then they would go past the camera. Now, Robert had been in Westerns. 
So he was tall in the saddle, and he was riding around on this horse. And, of course, Al, you know, a Jewish guy from Minnesota, uh, I don't think he'd ever been on a horse. So he was, like, very unsteady. We did a couple of rehearsals. I said, okay, let's shoot one. And we shoot it. They do their lines perfectly. They cross right out of camera range. And then you hear Bob Foxworth scream. Like, ah! Well, something went out on his back. And he is now draped over this horse. We have to call, obviously, 911. We have to call paramedics. We can't move him from the horse. The paramedics come out and they have to gingerly get him off of that and onto a gurney and into the ambulance. Meanwhile, this shot, we we had like all kinds of shots all over town scheduled for that day. And it's like, okay, the Griffith Park thing we do from 8 to 10. Uh, Then we go out and we shoot here at the liquor store. And then we go to the lot. We shoot at the New York Street and everything. Well... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we don't get out of there till like noon uh, because of this. And um, fortunately, we got the scene. You know, if they had screwed up, mm, we'd be in big old trouble. But we, we got the scene. And after shooting that night, I went to the hospital to see Bob, to see how he was doing. And they had him on morphine or something. This was the happiest I have ever seen this man. (laughs) But unfortunately, he was out for like about a week. And they had to write him out of the rest of the episode. So the first time I do an outside scene, um, I basically sideline an actor. And those are uh, a number of personal anecdotes dealing with athletes and animals. Thank you very much. Maybe we'll have an interview next week, Uh, or maybe not. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm available. My email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am also on Twitter at Ken Levine. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I post my cartoons. So if you want to check some of those out, again, follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Talk to you again next week right here on Hollywood and Levine.